Good evening, glad you're here. We're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Glad you made the effort to be here. Uh, we're going to continue in our Bible study, the grand scheme of things. Our plan is to take a year and to move across uh, our, our Bible, starting in Genesis, moving all the way to the book of Revelation, uh, seeing the gospel as it unfolds all the way through the Bible. Let me give you a couple of, of points of quick review before we jump in uh, to our study tonight. First off, I want to remind you what we've already stacked up, and that's how this is going to work all the way through. We're going to keep stacking this piece of truth on top of this one, and we're again going to build the, the story of our gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, all the way through Scripture. Well, the, the first place we started is with God as the Creator. And we talked about how much we know of God and what we know about God is tied to His role as our Creator. Think about all the stuff uh, that's tied to him being our creator. He is infinite in wisdom, and he'd have to be uh, to be our creator. He is all-powerful, uh, able to create, and he would have to be. Uh, he is creative in nature, to think about all the things uh, that we have in creation. He is also eternal. He's outside of time. Uh, when time begins, he's already there. He's outside of it, and so our God is eternal outside of time. Uh, a whole lot of stuff. Our purpose comes from him. Now think about that. If he creates us, then our purpose is going to come from him as our creator. He knows why he created us and the purpose that we hold. And so all of that goes back to the truth. God is our creator. And we started that week by talking about the truth that God records how he creates. And that's what we have in the Genesis account. He actually says, I did it like this. This is how I did it. And he records uh, the event. He is the only eyewitness uh, to the creation account. And so when somebody else is trying to tell you how we were created or how it goes down, um, they're speculating. They're making assumptions, uh, looking at the evidence, looking backwards. Well, God is the creator, so he is the eyewitness, and he writes it down for us. He records it for us. Now, what does that mean to us? It means to us that he wants us to know it. And so it's important for us to know it. A lot of times we think, well, this isn't that big of a deal. Well, uh, we, we don't have to nail this down. We're not, we're not going to come and force that issue. Well, actually, the fact that he recorded it for us is showing us the importance that he has for it in our understanding of who he is and what his work of redemption is. And so God records it because he wants us to know it. Now, last week we talked about his creation of man and of woman, we talked about that. Uh, we, again, he tells us how he did it. Uh, he tells us uh, as the eyewitness wanting us to know that as well. And then we looked at last week uh, God's institution of marriage, uh, that it originates from him. Man didn't invent that. Uh, that it's defined, therefore, by him. And so we're not coming along and able to make new definitions of marriage. Uh, God, as he instituted it, has defined it. And then we saw that it is a blessing. It is a good thing. And we need to talk about that anytime we talk about marriage. He's not trying to curse us or to harm us or put an undue weight upon us. It is a good thing and it is a blessing. Well, those are the blocks that we have in place coming into tonight. That brings us to tonight. Now, the question tonight is this. Then what went wrong? If they're living in perfection... And everything is awesome. Think about that. Everything is awesome. God calls everything good. 
Uh, the question then becomes, well, what went wrong? Uh, what in the world happened? What went wrong? Well, the answer is, uh, in one word, sin is what went wrong. Man sins, and with man's sin, uh, everything changes. And so we're going to talk about where does sin come from? What does sin do? What does sin bring? What is the problem we have in sin uh, tonight, very quickly as we pass through Genesis. And so again, uh, what happened? Well, what happened is man sinned, and after that, uh, everything changes. I'm going to read all of Genesis chapter 3 tonight. I'll read the entire account, and then we'll come back and break some things out of that. So again, Genesis chapter 3 tonight. Here we go. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from, in, from any tree of the garden. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. For God knows that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me to, to be with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all cattle, and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat from it, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread till you return to the ground, because from it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Now the man called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. And now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden 
to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. In chapter 2, we read that God creates man. He creates woman. He places them in the garden. And there is no sin. There is no guilt. There is no shame. Now, he puts them in the garden, and he gives them one command. Uh, Eat of any tree that you want, but of this one tree, do not eat. Uh, There is no lack. They're not hungry. Uh, They're not in need of fruit to eat. Anything you want to eat, you can eat of that. But of this one tree, do not eat. Let me read that to you. It's in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. So, okay, they're in the garden. It's a perfect environment. There is no sin. There's no consequence of sin. And they have one command. Of this tree, do not eat. Well, when we get to the account of Genesis chapter 3, it says that Satan, in the form he had indwelled a snake, in the form of a snake, comes and he says, indeed, has God said, you shall not eat. Now, I want you to think about how this progresses. Here they are. Here shows up Satan, and he says, Indeed, has God said to you, you shall not. Now, the first thing we see here in Genesis 3 is the questioning of the Word of God, the questioning of God's Word. Did he truly say? Is this what he said? Now, I want you to see this, and we're going to see it all the way through tonight. This is an issue of the Word of God. It is an issue of the Word of God. We talk about uh, holding up the Word of God, preaching the Word of God, standing on the Word of God. Well, we're going to see sin entering in is an issue of the Word of God. Did he truly say that? Now, the woman answers and says, now, we can't touch it or eat from it. Now, if you go back to Genesis 2, God didn't say anything about touching it. She's now added something to it. He said, do not eat of this tree. She's now added something to it. And so we see this. Here is the word of God, and now it's being adapted, or it's being changed, or it's being added to. And so again, see this. It is an issue of the word of God. What if we add something to it? What if we update it? What if we say, well, it's not relevant today? And so we see she adds something to it. Again, it's an issue of the Word of God. Well, Satan says, you will not surely die. So now he just directly contradicts what God has said. In fact, he says this, when you eat from it, you will be like God. You will see and you will perceive like God. And so again, God has said, here's the boundary. Do not eat of this tree. Satan says, when you do, not only are you not going to die, you're going to be like God. Well, the account goes on and it says they eat, and of eating the tree, they break God's command. They disregard God's word. All the way through that account, it is an issue of the word of God. Here's the deal. They do not trust it, and they do not believe it. Now, I tried to say, uh, are there some other things involved in that? Surely it's more complex than that. 
But basically, if you want to sum it up, they do not trust, they do not believe the word of God, so therefore they do not obey it. Now you say, well, how do you get it that simple? If they actually believed they would died, they would have died, they wouldn't have eaten it. And so evidently they think, well, maybe we won't die, or we know who God is, and I don't think he'd do that to us, or, or Satan has told us something different. And so evidently they're not believing the word of God. And because of their lack of belief, they are not obeying the word of God. Well, that brings us to the, to the point tonight, and that is this. Sin is not obeying, not trusting God's word. If you want to go to the core of it, it is not obeying, not trusting God's word. Now, I want to stop right here and, and just point this out. Again, do you see why there's such an attack on the word of God? And that's, that's the day we're living in. Folks say, well, can you trust it? Well, did men mess it up when they recorded it? Surely it's been updated. Well, what if we set this side apart or, or, or set this side down? And there's an attack on the word of God. People say, well, has God said that? Is this what he said about creation or is it something else? Is this what he said about marriage or is it something else? Is this what he's called a sin or is it something else? And so the attack against God's word continues to go on. Sin is not obeying, not trusting God's word. First thing we see is this. Sin breaks God's command. Sin breaks God's word. All right, the second point we're going to see is this. Sin always has consequences. And we need to understand that. We need to realize that. We need to be sure of that. Sin always has consequences. Sometimes we think, well, maybe it's not that big of a consequence, or maybe this one will get to slide, or maybe no one will ever find out about that. And the truth is, sin always has consequences. Now, think about what we saw in the third chapter. From our account, when sin enters in, the first thing we see, the first consequence, is there is now death. That's strange to think about. Until that point, there is no death in creation. There's no animal death. Uh, there's no human death. There is no death before sin. The Bible says the wages of sin, what is earned by sin, is death. Death is a consequence for sin. Now, it's interesting. God said that it would be. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so we have death because of sin. Next consequence in our account is pain. There is pain in the account in, in having kids, uh, in childbirth. There's pain because of sin. And there's also pain in your labors, the, the things you have to do. There's pain as you go through the days of life. That is a consequence of sin. Tied very closely to that, there is hardship. Uh, we were always to work, uh, but not in this type of hardship. It says, by the sweat of your brow, uh, you'll, make your, you'll make your way working the fields, and, and there'll be weeds that you'll have to deal with. Hardship springs up because of sin. And then the biggest consequence, uh, even bigger than all of those, is a broken fellowship with God. And, and that's, I think, the heaviest, most profound consequence of sin. Now, think about that for just a second. Before sin, it says they talk to God. Can you imagine they talk to him? In one of the verses, it says, in the cool of the day, he came to find them. They could actually walk with God as a friend, 
They could talk to God as a friend. In the cool of the day, they could, they could take a stroll with him. But now because of sin, notice what happens. Man is shamed in sin. Uh, it's interesting that the first thing that happens is they become aware they're naked. They become ashamed of themselves. And they try to hide their shame. They actually try to hide from God. In God's grace, he makes coverings for them. Uh, garments, the Bible says, of skin. Uh, that skin is taken from dead animals. Now, I want you to see what's happened here. There was no death. Now there's death. Uh, really, it's the first sacrifice made, the first death for the covering of sin. And so they're actually wearing death uh, as a covering for sin. Um, their, their garments, the things they wear, are a reminder of sin. This didn't happen. Animals didn't die. And we're actually wearing the proof uh, that, that points to the payment for sin. They're wearing the reminders of their sin. Now, that is big. That is important because that helps us understand our condition today. Our condition today has not changed. In our sin, our relationship with God is broken. He is holy. He is perfect. He can have no part of sin. He hates sin. In fact, he abhors sin. That's what he says. And so as sinners, we have a broken relationship with God. Our fellowship with God is broken. Now, I believe we, we can feel that. I believe we can tell something's wrong. Uh, some folks would say something different or opposite of that. But I think we know something's messed up. And so we spend our days trying to feel better about the relationship that's broken with God. And we think, you know what, I'll make enough money and I'll, I'll have satisfaction. I'll be content. I'll get the right relationship and I'll find satisfaction. I'll be content. I'll drink enough and I'll be numb and I'll find satisfaction. And I'll be content. And I think if you watch people, they're running from one thing to the next thing, trying to find the thing that'll make them finally feel satisfied. And when the thing they're missing is their relationship with the God that, they, that created them. And so they're looking for, for an answer for what sin has caused. Sin has consequences. With that development, with sin entering in there in the garden, the problem of man is sin. The problem of man today is sin. The problem of man is sin. Now I want to, I want to talk right here for just a second. I want, to, I want to point something out right here for just a second. Sin is sin. Sin is sin. As people, we like to start to rank sin. And for sure yours is worse than mine. I can promise you that. But I want to start to rank sin. Or we want to start to make levels of sin. Or we want to start to measure quantities of sin. Now that's a lot of sin. That's a lot of sin over there. Or quality of sin. That's huge. That, that sin's not overcomable. Or, or the, the idea of a scale. And you know what? Here's this sin, but this one weighs more. But maybe I'll do enough good works and this one will, will pull the weight back down. And we start to think about ranking sin, uh, quantities of sin, measuring sin, uh, levels of sin. Well, I want to show you an example tonight that sin is sin. We need to understand that sin 
is sin. Right here is a pitcher of water. Um, that pitcher of water uh, has been run through a reverse osmosis filtration system. It is clean. Uh, it was spring water anyway. I found it from a place in Arkansas. I ordered it on the internet. It came in. And then after it got here, this spring water, I ran it through this system. Um, I was reading that the, the best temperature to drink water is 52 degrees. I don't know why that is, but 52 degrees. Well, I put enough ice in this that about 10 minutes ago, that hit 52 degrees. That water is spring water. It's been double filtered. It's in that pitcher. It's 52 degrees, and it's, it's ready right now. Very awesome. In this cup, now let me just tell you this. It's kind of gross, but I'm going to tell you. My dog, one of my dogs, had an abscessed tooth. Just, just a big old janky abscessed tooth. Um, we, we, we gave that dog a shot to numb it. I know anybody get mad, especially on the internet, that we hurt the dog. We didn't hurt him too bad, but gave him a shot. And then we, we worked around, and that, that thing was rotten and foul, and we pulled out that abscessed tooth. And this is what came out of that dog's mouth after we pulled the abscessed tooth. Now, listen, it's not a lot of stuff, but it's a little bit of stuff. This is what came out of my dog's mouth after we pulled his tooth. I'm going to pour one tablespoon. Now, there, there's, I think I measured 128 ounces here. So 128 ounces, that's a lot of water. I'm going to pour one tablespoon of what comes out of a dog's abscessed mouth when you pull his tooth. I won't stir it up. It's, some of it's floating and some of it <laughs> sunk to the bottom. Let me ask you a question. <laughs> we would probably get a different answer if the youth were in here tonight, but they're in their own class. Is anybody willing to drink that? One tablespoon. One tablespoon. The dog was on antibiotics. It couldn't be that bad. Would anybody drink that? Would anybody drink that? 128 ounces of the best water ever and one tablespoon of this other stuff. Here's the truth. Any sin and all sin mars, defiles, makes dirty, brings consequences. You know the, the same consequence uh, of any sin bears down. We're separated from God due to any sin. Sin breaks our relationship with God. Here's the deal. Sin is sin. And we can make levels of it, and we can talk about who's done more and who has a greater quantity, but any sin breaks our relationship with God. It's the same as that example. Now, I want you to notice something here, and I, I see it still today. Notice this. Once they are caught in their sin, notice what happens. They repent. They build an altar. They get right with God. It's not what happens. When they are caught in their sin, did you eat of the tree? That's the question. And this is their friend. This is God. Did you eat of the tree? Their natural response was start to blame somebody else. Um, you see that with a, with a three-year-old. The first time, did you take that? And they say, oh, my sister took that. I didn't take that. Their natural response was to blame somebody else. Adam says, it's Eve. That's what he says. Did you eat this? It's Eve. And then he turns to Eve and says, Eve. And Eve says, it was the snake. 
He, she blames the snake. And then he goes back to, to Adam, and Adam says, it was the woman that you gave me. He actually starts to blame God. You gave me the dadgum woman. If you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have ever sinned. You set this whole thing up. She blames the snake. He blames her, and then he blames God. The natural response for sin, for some reason, is to blame somebody else, to blame something else. That's exactly what happens here. All right, at this point, we have a huge question to talk about, a huge question to settle, um, a big question to think about, and that is this. Why did God put the tree in the garden? Now, I don't know that we always think about that. We just think, well, he did. Why did God put the tree in the garden? I want you to, to follow with me. This is big. If they're going to fail, why put it there? If you don't put it there, guess what? They don't sin. They don't fail. Why put the tree there? Was he tempting them to fail? God said, I'll put a tree there and I'll tell you you can't eat of it. Was he tempting them to, to fail? Did he want them to sin? Did he want them to sin? Here's, here's a big question, and, and there's a lot of folks talking about it. Did he need them to sin? Did he need them to sin that he could show who he is? Did he need them to sin that he could send his only begotten son and be glorified through it? Did he need them to sin? For his plan to move forward, did he need them to sin? What if they never sinned? He wouldn't have had to send his son. And if he did, or if he does, isn't he responsible for sin? Now, there are some folks today, and they're saying, you know what? God needed them to sin. God set it up where they couldn't do anything but sin, that he would be glorified through it. His plans that he be glorified, he set it up that they would sin, that he would be glorified. Some of them say God actually ordains sin. There's a popular guy right now, uh, John Piper, and he teaches God ordains sin. He needed people to sin. So back to the question, are those things true? Why did he put the tree in the garden? Well, let me show you this. It all comes down to choice. It all comes down to choice. Now, to know God, and that means to know who he is. He is gracious. He is kind. He is wise. He is perfect. He's aware and loving of us. To know God and then to hear his word, those two things are tied together. And then to choose to obey, guess what that does? That honors God. That glorifies God. And, and so God puts a tree there and he sets a boundary there. And he says, you can know me. And in knowing me, you'll hear my voice. You'll hear my word. And then you're going to get the choice to rebel. Or you're going to get the choice to, to, to disobey, to sin. And choosing to obey honors God, glorifies God. It means this. You trust him, you value him, and you love him. It is the same today. In the New Testament, God says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Our love is shown through obedience, through believing and trusting his word. And so let me, let me answer these questions. Does God want us to sin? No, never, never had, never did. That's not the character of God. Does God ordain sin? No, not then, not now. He doesn't cause anybody 
to sin. Does God, listen, need us to sin? That he'd be glorified? That he can roll out his plan? No, our God is great and perfect and deserving of glory no matter what we do. And so he doesn't need us to sin. Be sure and understand that is not our God. In fact, the more I study that, the more that if that is our God, I've got some severe problems with our God that would create people to sin, that he could punish them for sin, and then send a remedy for that, that he'd be glorified. That's not the nature, the character of our God. Let me ask you this, and we're going to keep moving. What are some reasons that we sin? And I, I want your input on this. They sinned. And you say, well, they had a sin nature. They didn't. Well, they were consumed. It was their environment, not theirs. It was perfect. Why do people sin? Why do we sin? And I'm, I'm going to just ask for some real reasons. You can, you can shout out. Now, you're just giving an answer. You're not telling the people why you sin. But what are some reasons that we sin? Anybody can answer? Selfishness. I want what I want. Anybody else? Why do we sin? Following other people. We don't think we are, but we're pack driven and everybody's going that way and we want to fit in with them. Why do we sin? What's that? <laughs> we're bubbleheads. I thought you said boneheads. Either way. Somebody else? Sin is attractive. It is. Here's a couple I wrote down. We like it. We like to sin. We want to. You know what? I want to do that. Here's another one. We don't like authority. Uh, and, and I think that's a big deal. Tell somebody you can't. You can do anything but that. Guess what they start doing? They start looking at that. Tell a kid, you can do anything but this. And they start going, well, I think I'll do that. We don't like authority. I, I, no one's going to tell me, and, and I'm going to tell them how it's going to be. We want to. We like it. We're selfish. We're rebellious. We're not smart. Um, we do not like authority. Now, think about this. Are any of those not tied to pride? Are any of those reasons not tied to pride? And I think, well, I want to. Well, I pridefully want to, and I don't care what God has said. I don't like authority. I pridefully want to be like God, and so I'm not going to take direction from him. Just go down the list. All of those things really are steeped in pride. Go back to the original thing. You can be like God. You're not like God, but in this act, you can be like God. And in pride, they enter into the first sin. I think pride weighs in uh, on all sin. Some of the reasons we sin, uh, all those come back to pride. All right, here's another great truth, and it's in, in chapter 4. We're not going to read it tonight. Uh, if you want to read chapter 4, that'll set you up for next week, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, but it, but in Genesis chapter 4, and we see it carry out of the third chapter, sin not dealt with, sin left unchecked, always escalates. And that, that is a truth. Sin left alone will always escalate, which means there's not a sin 
that fades away. There's not a sin that becomes less. Sin left to its own devices, sin left unchecked will always grow. And, and here's what that means. A little becomes a little more, becomes a little more, becomes a little more until it finally becomes a lot. And you can make excuses along the way and you get used to it. Whatever the reason, it always grows. Now, there's a lot of examples that I could have pulled out. I think about David and Bathsheba. Um, read that account and it says, when the men went out for battle, he stayed home. His first thing, he was lazy. He was supposed to lead them. He was trusted in war. He was their leader and he didn't want to go. He'd been out many times. He didn't want to go anymore. So he, it starts off, David says, I don't, I don't want to go fight anymore. Let them go fight. He's lazy. He, he, he throws off his duty. Says after he stays home a while, he's sitting over in his palace and he notices her bathing on her rooftop. So now laziness has given way to lust. And so he's lustful. He's watching her. He sends somebody to go get her. It turns into adultery. So now he's lazy, turned into lust, turned into adultery. Then he starts to lie, mixing it all the way in, lying. Then he sends for her husband, has him killed. And I think about that. He didn't do what he was supposed to do, and it turned into this, turned into this, turned into this. David, the greatest king of Israel, in a couple of fell swoops, probably over not that many days, is a murdering, lying, adulterous, lusting, lazy individual. And it just started with one little thing. I guarantee you, if he could see the end of it at the start, he'd have never known, never would have guessed it would have grown out of that seed. In chapter four is the account of Cain as he kills Abel. The first two brothers, Cain kills Abel. Now, if you read that account, it's interesting. The reason that happens is over worship. It goes back to worship. It goes back to jealousy. Um, in that account, Cain brings an offering that was less than the quality that God said bring. He says, bring your best, your first fruits. Uh, Abel brings his. Cain evidently goes, what's God going to do? Is God even going to know? Who even cares? And so really his heart's got an issue, and he's got an issue with his worship, but he brings a less than offering. That's the starting place. Um, Guess what he does? He gets jealous over the righteousness of his brother. His brother does the right thing. Then he's jealous, and that turns, always does, but it turns into anger. Um, isn't it weird how you're caught in the wrong, and you are wrong, and then you're the one that gets mad? And that's a, you're, like, well, I'm, you're upset with them. He gets mad, then he kills his brother, then he tries to cover it up. A less than offering, a simple thing, all he had to do is repent. All I had to do is tell God he was sorry. All I had to do is make it right. And it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it ends up with this event. Now, I don't know that we ever think, we read, we read what happens from there, but I don't know that we ever think about um, what that looks like for Adam and Eve moving forward. Think about Adam and Eve. And these are real people. And this is a real situation. Now, I want you to think about this. Sin enters the world through them. In their distrust of God and his word, sin enters in through them. They know that. Now they have two sons. And if you've got kids, you, you can probably picture this. They have two sons. 
and one of their sons is dead. One of their sons is dead. That's terrible. That's unimaginable. But add this to it. The other brother's a murderer. The other brother's the one that did it. We love our sons, and this brother killed that brother. So not only are we missing one brother, now the other brother is a murderer, and, and he, he's cast out. He killed his brother. Now I want you to imagine the heartache of Adam and Eve. Lost a son, lost another son. Don't you know Adam had to sit up at night and go, where did I go wrong? What if I'd have done this differently? What if I'd have modeled this? And what if I'd have trusted God at his word? And then, and then don't you know they sat up at night saying, if we could take it back. If we could take it back, if we could fix that, we'd fix that. And now, now these things are falling into place. Great heartache because of sin. Sin always escalates. And then here's, here's the best part of the lesson. The best part of the lesson is this. When you read that, you go, wow, that's terrible. Man, we're still, we're still suffering from that. I, I stood by a grave today because of that. We're still suffering because of that. How terrible. But I want to tell you the awesome thing is this, and it, and it points back to God. Our God is gracious. It's who he is. Our God is merciful. It's who he is. He shouldn't be, but he is. Our God, he tells us himself, and then he shows us, is willing to forgive. And I want you to see this. And therefore, as soon as sin shows up, so does God's plan for redemption and restoration. And that, to me, is the craziest thing. He doesn't say, well, get you some of that. He doesn't say, well, you've messed it up, and now you've got to stew in that, and I'll come back and catch you in a whole bunch of generations. As soon as sin enters in, so does God's plan for redemption and restoration. Genesis chapter 3, the gospel shows up in Genesis. There is man, and he's created by a holy, perfect God. Man has entered into sin, and now he has the problem of sin that he can't do anything about. He cannot reconcile. And in Genesis chapter 3, the gospel already shows up. He tells the woman, your seed will crush the serpent's head. That is already telling of Jesus Christ. That is already a promise of the remedy that will come in Jesus Christ. Now, think about this. What was lost in sin is restored in Jesus. There's no sickness. There's no death. There's no sin. There's no stain of sin or consequence of sin. When we finally get there to the book of Revelation, guess what there's not going to be? Sin or death or sin or consequence of sin. What was messed up in sin is going to be remedied, is remedied, restored in Jesus. What is destroyed in sin is made new in Jesus. And then here's the greatest thing. The broken relationship with God is reconciled through Jesus. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ as sinners, our relationship is set right, is reconciled with a holy God. To me, that's about as awesome as it gets. As fast as there's a problem, God didn't do it. God didn't cause it. We did in sin. As fast as there's a problem in sin, God in his grace and his kindness and his mercy sets forth the plan for restoration and redemption through Jesus Christ. Already, third chapter of Genesis, we could preach a sermon on Jesus Christ, our hope and our Savior. 
Glad you're here tonight. We're going to end right there. We'll pick up next week. Uh, glad you're here. Pray that God encouraged you. Pray God spoke to you through our lesson tonight. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and then we're going to be dismissed. I want to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. During Father, we come. We're thankful for tonight. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for the truth that we're not having to dig for our problem. We're not having to go and search for our problem. We know our problem. You tell us. We're thankful that in that problem, in my sin and our sin, that you sent an answer, and that answer is in Jesus. I'm thankful for the hope that we have in Jesus right now. Lord, I pray that we would be embracing that hope through faith. I pray for some that are hearing maybe in a different way tonight, maybe in this room, they would turn to you as the remedy for sin. I pray that we'd be preaching the remedy for sin, and that's each of us as we go to work, as we finish up this week, that we would tell others that there is hope, that there is peace in Christ. And then I pray, Lord, that we are worshiping, um, pointing to you, exalting you, lifting up your name, the kind, gracious God that sends a remedy for sin. Lord, we, we pray for our kids that are meeting tonight. I pray for a foundation that's stacked, that's built, that holds. I pray for our youth that are meeting tonight. I, I pray as they're going to go into a world that's going to try to tear this good news all apart, that the foundation has continued to be stacked. I pray for the other classes meeting tonight as well, that you're known in and through them. We give this to you, and I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.